0: Exodus chapter 2, once you're there, you can go ahead and stand and we will, we will read together. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 10. 1, 2, 3, read. put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the bank. and his sisters stood at a distance to know what he had to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it, and when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the child was crying. She took pity on them and said, this, this is, is one the of the Hebrew's, Hebrew's children. When if his sister, sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, "Shall I go and call you your nurse from the, from the Hebrew, Hebrew women to, to nurse the child for you?" And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Go." So the Pharaoh's woman went and called the child's mother. mother. And Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Take this Pharaoh's child away and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages." So the This is the word of the Lord. God, we ask this morning as we enter your word, well, Lord, we we primarily ask that you would speak, and what good news that here you have, you have spoken through your word. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have ears to hear what you have said. We pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would see you and we would know you. God, we do ask that through these pages, we would grow to love you more. And that as we love you more, we would love others more (laughs) for your glory and for the good of the world. It's in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. A while back, um, I had gotten home from work, and I have a backpack with me that I carry every day. Uh, And so I got out of the car, grabbed the backpack, and I turn around, and Emmerich has run out of the garage. Emmerich's my my three-year-old son, if you didn't know who that is. And so he runs out of the garage, and, and he says to me, he says, Daddy do you have a present for me in your backpack? Uh, I said, no, buddy, I I don't. I don't know where you got that, but I do not have a present for you in my backpack, but I'm so happy to see you. And his excitement went to slight uh, rejection. (laughs) Like it went from to, I don't know about that. And this was his response. He said, but daddy... You love me. So why don't you have a present for me in your bag? (laughs) Now, I'll just be honest. I was about ready to get in the car and go get him a present (laughs) after that statement. But if you want to know the quickest way to ruin a child, it's to give them whatever they want and tell them that they can be whatever they want. So, um, I... It was like, man. All right, well, buddy, I do love you. I do. There, always, always love you, kid. Like, but that doesn't mean I'm always going to have presents for you in my bag. Like, my love is not going to play itself out that way all the time. And at that point in time, he logically concluded th- that makes sense. And he walked inside, and we had a great rest of the afternoon. That was sarcasm. Um, <laughs> At that point in time, he lost it. Uh, His view view of me had crashed and crumbled. He went from having a daddy who loved him to having a daddy who withheld good things from him (laughs) in a short conversation. There was crying. There was hurt. There needed to be repair later on both ends because I did not handle it in the way that I probably should have. And all this because he had expectations of something based upon my character. Hear that? It was based upon my character. He understood I was a good dad who loves him. And so the way that that translated in his brain was you have a present for me in your bag. He had expectations of something based upon my character that didn't play out the way he had expected. He knew that I was a good dad. He knew that I loved him. He knew the way that he expected that to play out was in the form of a physical present. And when those expectations went unmet, his view of me crashed. His view of me crashed. I wanna be honest, this isn't a story about my son, this is a story about all of us. And a God who is a good father, who does not meet our expectations for the way that that goodness should look. Many of us have moments when our expectations for God are unmet, unmet expectations. God doesn't seem to be coming through for you in the way you think he should. Examples might be, he's not healing me. He's not answering my prayers. He's not fixing my broken marriage. He's not making my business work. In all of these things we have expectations that we've placed upon God Based upon his character and our perceived understanding of how that character should look in our lives. And when those expectations go unmet, our view of God tends to crash. Just like my son, as we grow in our understanding of God's character, we can begin to develop expectations for how we think Practical application of that character should look in our lives. I'm here to tell us this morning that God delivers in unexpected ways. God delivers in unexpected ways. Not according to our expectations, is the definition of unexpected. Surprising. Different than I would hope, maybe. God delivers in unexpected ways. I want to take a moment, and just for the rest of our sermon, we're just going to be unpacking that statement. God delivers in unexpected ways. Let's take a moment to locate us in our passage, remind us of our location here. Um, to get where we're trying to go, we have to know where we are. So if you ask me, hey, Austin, how. Do how do I get to Jesus Chapel? Well, my answer is going to change depending on whether you're coming from I 10 West or I 10 East. Yeah? It's going to change depending on whether you're further east going I 10 West or you're, further, or you're further east going I 10 East. My answer is going to change. Where you're located helps you understand where you're going. Where are we located in this passage? Well, we're located with God's people who are enslaved in Egypt and they're waiting for God to deliver them. And so far in the text, so far in Exodus chapter 1 through Exodus chapter 2.10, God seems to kind of be distant. He seems to almost be absent. He shows up, in, like his, the word God shows up, In just the passage before us, and it's actually his response to something that people have done, it doesn't seem like he's an active agent. It seems like he's a responsive one or a passive one, which is really unique. It's a really unique feature of the text. God isn't there, it seems. Now, we know that that's not true. We know that he's been fulfilling his promises by multiplying his people. We know that he's been faithful, he's been providing for them necessary deliverers. But for every story of provision and deliverance comes a story of much greater suffering. In the first 11 verses of the book, God multiplies his people, and as a result, the king of Egypt enslaves them. In the next section, God continues to multiply his people So the king of Egypt decides to kill their baby boys. He's attempting to weaken their society. Essentially he's attempting to steal their future from them. He's he's saying your power as a nation I'm gonna take from you. Your power I'm gonna take. You see land was passed down by the men. Inheritance was passed down by the men. The family name was passed down by the men and so Pharaoh's saying I'm gonna wipe you out by taking out your baby boys. There's a deliverance. The midwives, they deliver God's people and as a result, God's provision for the wise Hebrew midwives, Pharaoh responds by commanding all the Egyptians to throw the Hebrew baby boys into the Nile River. This is chapter one, verse 22. We'll read it a few times today. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And then our story starts with the birth of a baby. The tension is massive. What's going to happen to this child? Is this going to be a tragic story of murder, or is there going to be a glimmer of hope? Here's what we know going into Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We know that God delivers. That's been His character throughout the biblical story so far. That's his character that will carry through to the end of the biblical story. That's his character for you right now. We know that God delivers. Before we even get into our text, we know that he is a God who delivers. But here's something that we've got to grab out of this text. God does not deliver according to our expectations. Right? So you and I, showing up to Exodus chapter 2 verse 1. We might say something like, Well, God, why don't you just show up then and wipe out all the Egyptians? Or, God, this is one baby, what about all the other babies? And we're stuck asking questions. You see, God delivers, yes, but he does not deliver according to our expectations. In in fact, in this very chapter, we have the birth of a deliverer, the birth of Moses, who will deliver his people from slavery, but that deliverance won't happen for another 80 years after this chapter. 80 years! Can I caution us against something? We are being taught by our age of expediency that to wait is a bad thing. And a God who makes us wait can't be trusted. But that's not the picture that the Bible puts forward at all. In fact, the Bible seems to communicate that the default position of God's people is one of waiting. Waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to deliver. And if we're honest, not seeing those promises fulfilled until generations have passed us. The constant refrain of, uh, of the Psalms is, How long, O Lord? And this clues us into a theme of the Christian life. To be God's people means to be a people that is in waiting, waiting for a deliverer we are a people waiting for God's deliverance. And here in Exodus chapter two, we have a people waiting for God's deliverance. And if we're not careful, we will despair because we've expected God to work on our timelines and in our wisdom. When this happens, we end up missing God. We miss what he's doing because God does not operate within our limited understanding. And if we confine him to our limited understanding, it will only ever lead to despair and disappointment. It will only ever lead to despair and disappointment. But God does deliver. We know that in unexpected ways. Not according to our expectations. And if we get so fixated on our expectations, we will be crushed. We will despair. We will deny. We will lead only to disappointment because our expectations is not what God came to meet. He came to meet our need. And He does so in unexpected ways. God delivers, the command from Pharaoh to throw the baby boys into the Nile happens and God delivers. Now, we don't see God explicitly named in this text. Verses one through 10, you won't find him. Even in the original language, if you wanna go try to look for it, you're not gonna find uh, the name for God anywhere in there or any of the names used for God in there. But if we're honest with ourselves, his fingerprints are all over the page verse 1 and 2, they're hiding a baby for three months. Now, we've got a lot of young parents in here, and I just want you to think about what that might be like. You have heard this command from Pharaoh to everyone, not just to a select secret service that's kind of patrolling, to everyone. As soon as a baby boy is born, kill him. Throw him into the Nile. Throw him into the Nile. And you just had this baby boy. And now you have to wonder things like, is this baby going to make it? Is this baby going to live? Is this baby going to get crew? Is this baby going to cry in the middle of the night because I can't figure out how to nurse this child? Is this baby going to need something that I can't provide and end up getting found out and thrown into the Nile? How do, we, how do we hide this child if someone comes in looking? Now let's remember that they aren't just hiding this child from the midwives. It's from everyone, everyone in the streets, hiding the baby. If anyone finds out, they could be in danger. And in God's mysterious providence, he secures the secrecy of this baby for the first three months of its life. Now, this might be lost on you. But most parents proclaim that they don't sleep for the first three months of their child's life. Which has implications. This was not a normal thing for a child to be able to be hidden for three months. God is covering eyes, he's silencing ears, silencing cries, deafening ears. Something's happening here. And then we've got verses three to six, it's this, the timing of the basket in the Nile. I mean, I just want us to imagine this. Um, like The idea that a woman would put her baby in a basket into a river and it would just so happen to be found by someone with a heart of compassion for that baby. In a nation where most of them are like, hey, to disobey Pharaoh is to disobey God. The, the sheer timing, one day earlier and it's found by someone else. One day later and nobody comes and the baby starves to death. The sheer chances that this would be found by somebody... Then in verses 7 to 9, his sister brokers a relationship, a negotiation between Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, can you imagine that? The man who commanded everyone to kill the babies, his very daughter's like, yeah, I can't do it, dad. The chances of this happening. And then his sister shows up and she says, I... I know a woman who could nurse this baby until you're ready to take him in. And he ends up back in his mother's house. And not only that, but she gets paid for it. She gets paid to be a mom, which is every mom's dream. (laughs) Like, we... To say this is coincidence would be sheer foolishness. God delivers. The sheer amount of details that had to work out in this baby boy's favor is insurmountable. Yet we know the one who delivers. And at the end of this, Moses' mom is gifted with the very child she had to give away. At the end of this, verse 10 top of all these things we have the name that's given to Moses Moses to draw out to draw out you see in these 10 verses we're getting an origin story of the deliverer of God's people the one who is drawn out of water so that one day he can draw out God's people from Egypt through water by the way God is at work in this passage. He may not be explicitly named, but we cannot get around the fact that even when we can't see him at first glance, if we are willing to look, he is easily found. Now, brothers and sisters, can I invite us into something in our own lives today? Um, Something that's not explicit in this passage, but I think it's implicit here. Uh, Do you struggle to believe that God is who he says he is? I have moments. Do you struggle to believe that he's present and working in your life? Is it possible that you believed the first glance where he's not mentioned explicitly and because of this you believe a lie that he's not there at all? And so my invitation for us this morning is to look Deeper than the surface to see how he's carried us all along brothers and sisters your life and my life It's a story of God behind the scenes It's a story of God behind the scenes And if we'd be willing to believe that for a moment that even when we can't see it at first glance That he's carried us all the way He's carried us all along Just as he did for Moses in this passage, and just as he will do for his people throughout the Bible, and just as he does for you right now, even when you can't see him explicitly, even when he's not meeting your expectations, would you take a moment to look past the surface to see that your life is a story of God behind the scenes? I mean, the Bible tells us that it is in him we live and we move and we have our being. So the very fact that you are breathing right now is evidence that he is who he says he is. God delivers. He delivers his people. But he delivers in unexpected ways. Now, I want to talk about that for a moment. I want to spend the rest of our time... In this passage focusing on the unexpected nature of God's deliverance the first I think remember to locate ourselves again this text is in the ancient world and in the ancient world people don't think much of women they don't they don't think much about the value of women like remember here in this passage, "Pharaoh does not care if the women live because they're no threat to his empire, in his eyes. He just doesn't care. He's just not, not worried about them one bit. He is not concerned. We're in an ancient world where they don't view women as of value. And so one of the first unexpected ways to the original reader that God is going to work through his deliverance is he is going to work through women. And I love that. Like We just need to have a sidebar for a second. The Bible regularly uplifts the value of women in cultures that devalued women, treating them simply as property. And then the Bible comes along and it says, no, they're image bearers, made in the image of God, worthy of dignity. And value, not because of who they are, but because of who created them. It's an unexpected way for God to move His promises forward through women. It's, it's an unexpected way because the original world would have not looked at that as expected. We live in, you know, um, I can't say the words, but, you know, women with mugs that say something about them being a boss because we have to, like, you know, like our culture is all about the value, uh, the, I think, unhealthy obsession with feminism. And I think that women are incredible and amazing, but we actually are devaluing women in saying that they should be something they're not. I'm not saying that women shouldn't be bosses. Don't hear me say that. Uh, that's not what I'm saying at all. Women should be, and they make better bosses than I do, 9,000 times out of, one, out of 10. Um, but what, what I'm trying to argue is that our our day and age kind of looks at the Bible and it says, see, they don't they don't uplift women. They're just property. They're just they're just it's not something that they care about. And yet the Bible is constantly in its culture uplifting the value of women. You see, Pharaoh, he looks at women as property, he looks at them as not a threat, he looks at them as somebody he doesn't need to worry about them, and yet it's consistently in this story the daughters that foil his plans to destroy the Israelites. You see, he has expectations for the way the world should work. But God doesn't operate according to our expectations. Throughout the Bible, this is is so important for us to grab. Like God is, like women are vital to the role of God's mission in the world. Like women are vital in God's mission. It's in Genesis 3.15 through the womb that God's promised deliverer will come. The women will be the bearers of the offspring that will crush Satan. In Exodus one to four, it's the women who deliver God's people, the Hebrew midwives with their women uh, with their wisdom, Moses' mother and sister with their faithfulness, Pharaoh's daughter with her compassion, Moses' wife with her obedience in chapter four. We'll get to that in a few weeks, but in Joshua 2, Rahab secures deliverance for two Israel spies, leading to a great victory for God's people. In Judges 4, Deborah will judge God's people with wisdom, leading to deliverance. In 1 Samuel 25, Abigail will act with wisdom to keep King David, the Lord's anointed king, from sin. In Luke 1, Mary, the mother of Jesus, will respond in faith that she will give birth to the Son of God. In Luke chapter 8, we find that it's primarily women who fund Jesus' ministry. Like, the guys were like, yeah, we're not really into this, and women funded him. And so thankfully to women who came alongside Christ funding his ministry, after Jesus' resurrection, it's women who proclaim the good news of the gospel for the first time. And as the church expands, women are actively engaged in the work of disciple-making, opening their homes for churches to gather, helping people to understand the gospel with more clarity, delivering the letter to the Romans, and being available to help the church understand anything that may be confusing. I mean, this is incredible. Women are vital to God's mission in the world. Far be it from us to devalue them. Because God values them. And in a culture and in a world, in this passage where women are devalued, unexpected to do anything of worth. They're the ones delivering God's people. God delivers in unexpected ways. See women are necessary for God's economy and they've been a key part of expanding God's kingdom from Genesis three onward and here in Exodus we're seeing this on full display, full display. God uplifts, he values, he uses women to accomplish his redemptive purposes in the world. Andrew Wilson, he writes a book called Echoes of Exodus that has just been super helpful. Um, And he talks about this this kind of idea in this passage. Um, Moses' mother constructs an ark for a basket for him just as Noah had done. You see, Exodus 2, that word for basket, it's the Hebrew word that's used for ark In Genesis chapter 5 and 6, or Genesis chapter 6. It's the only other place that it's used in Scripture. It's to describe these two moments where God's people are delivered amidst water by going into an ark. It's striking. She covers it with pitch, which is just exactly what Noah had done. And while Pharaoh's building cities, an Israelite woman is building a tiny, unimpressive little ark for a child to be thrown into the water. Yet this ark, like Noah's, will become the vehicle through which God rescues the righteous from the watery destruction foils the plan of the wicked and creates a new nation in the midst of the old. Pharaoh's daughter hears the cry of the baby and takes pity on him just as at the end of this chapter the Lord will hear the cry of Israel in slavery and take pity on them. Moses' basket is taken from amongst the reeds just as Israel will be rescued through the sea of reeds. And his sister's the key witness to the event just as she will be at the Red Sea. With his adoption by Pharaoh's daughter, Moses' exodus instantly transfers him from oppression into royalty, just as Israel's exodus will instantly turn them from oppressed slaves into royal priests in the house of God. God delivers in unexpected ways. And in this story, we're getting a picture of that unexpected deliverance. Do we have all the answers to the questions? No. No. We don't. But we do know that God's on the move. We do know that God's working. And he's doing so in unexpected ways. But there's one more unexpected place in this passage that we cannot miss if we want to understand the way that the Lord works. Um, Verse 1, or uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, I've read it before. I'm going to read it again. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. I want us to go down a couple of verses to verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with Bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Wants to go down a little bit further to verse five. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked around, walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and sent her servant women, and she took it. We need to notice that in. Chapter 1, verse 22, the Nile is the place of death for the baby boys of the Israelites. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, the place of death becomes the place of life. That's unexpected. That God would use the place of death to bring about life. It is the place of death where Moses must go in order to be drawn out so that his people might have life. And I hope you see where I'm going with that. I hope you've been with me long enough to understand the unexpected ways in which God delivers his people. You see, as Jesus shows up on the scene, his people have great expectations for him that he does not meet. (laughs) In fact, He seems to do the opposite. He marvels them with His power, but then He disappoints them with His words. Even His disciples expect Him to establish a new world power through the sword, and yet He sees fit to lay down His life. And on the cross, it would seem as if all is lost, the place of death, the place of judgment, the place of despair is where Jesus is securing our redemption. In the place of weakness, God is securing salvation for his people. The place of death becomes the place of life. He's placed on the cross. He's buried in the grave, in the waters of God's judgment so that he could be drawn out of those waters and invite us to be born again into newness of life through his death and resurrection. God delivers in unexpected ways Out of the place of death, he brings life. brothers and sisters, if we're limited by our expectations, we will miss Jesus. Just as God's people did when he was here in the flesh. God delivers in unexpected ways. And this passage is here to show us that God's doing something in the life of his people. He's bringing about deliverance, but he's gonna do it in a way that we cannot expect. We would not think of the place of death to bring about life. And yet it is in the cross of Christ, the place of his death, that life is offered to all who would believe in him. I have a few applications for us in closing this morning. The first is God does not work on our timelines and in our ways. (laughs) And I hope you hear me say that, because what I'm telling you is you're not God, and that's good news for you, because it means that even when you can't understand what he's doing or where he is or how he's doing it, that he is a deliverer, and he'll work in ways that don't meet your expectations, and you can trust him, <laughs> and you can trust him to deliver, he is who he says he is. The second application I have for us is, um, I want to just ask, like, what unexpected means God might use in your life for his redemptive purposes? I, I, think, I think that um, our world is discipling us to think of quick, to think of big think of celebrity, and so often it's in the mundane and in the quiet moments that God is doing something. Uh, what, what might God be doing through your faithfulness as a mother, through your prayers for your children? What might God be doing through your concerns for your brothers and your sisters? caring for them, for watching out for them. What might God be doing through your caring for an aging parent? Fathers, what might God be doing just in your faithful presence to show up? What might God be doing on the deathbed? What might God be doing in adoption of a kid? What might God be doing in you showing up faithfully day after day to your job? What might God be doing in places where we expect nothing of it? And yet he delivers in unexpected ways. My invitation this week from this passage is one, to trust that God delivers. And he doesn't deliver the way we deliver. Which means he might use places in your life that you have completely devalued to do something that involves cosmic redemption in his plan. God delivers, yes, he does. That is who he is, but he does so in unexpected ways. And we're invited to trust him. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word as we see this story, this story that's preparing us to read the rest of the story well. To read it with expectations that you will be God, but also to read it with expectations that we are not. And we cannot understand you completely. We cannot put you in boxes of our limited understanding and yet you're inviting us to trust you and to see that you are on the move. And so we pray, Lord, this morning that we would see your deliverance. God, we thank you for this beautiful truth in this passage that it is in the place of death you bring about life. I think of the invitation to to, uh, die to ourselves, deny ourselves and follow Christ. Lord, in a world that tells us life is found when you embrace yourself, you invite us into denial of self, and it's there we find life. And so, Lord, we pray today that as we um, look to you, as you are the author and the finisher of our faith, that we would not despise the days of what seems like mundane, but we would recognize your ability to work powerfully in ways that we wouldn't expect you to. We pray that we would be sensitive to you, Lord. Lord, we pray that in moments where uh, our expectations are shattered, that we would remind ourselves of the character of God and that we would trust you, even if we can't understand, knowing that you will deliver. It is in your nature to draw out your people from the waters of judgment and into life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.